0: Welcome to the Lex City Church Podcast. To learn more about the ministries of Lex City, please visit lexcity.church. Well, good morning. That was pretty good about three, but good morning. Thank you. I feel a little bit better here. I don't know what you. Uh, when I go to read a book, especially if it's kind of a self-help or some kind of church strategy kind of book, I always like to just go to the end and read the conclusion to decide if what they are sharing with me is worth the effort for me to read the entire book, right, and learn some new tools, because the conclusion will kind of set that up. And if I'm motivated by that, then I'll, I'll go through the process. Today, what I want to do is I want to give you the conclusion of this series in hopes that at the end you will feel like, boy, this is worth my investment and my time into it. The goal for this series over these next three weeks is hopefully to kind of encourage you, challenge you, and equip you to really be set up for our big invite series this fall uh, that we'll do the second week right after Labor Day entitled The Wilderness. And The Wilderness is going to deal with this. Uh, Hopefully some felt issues that you feel, your neighbors feel, I feel in, in my life. And it's simply the issue of this, how God so many times in our lives meets us in the wilderness of life. But more importantly, he not only meets us there, but God uses the wilderness to grow us and mature us and, uh, in that process. And so we're really hoping for you that's going to be an easy invite to do that. And so we're going to have a whole, that week will all be themed out that way. You're going to get some on-site. We went to five locations the last couple weeks, wilderness places around their country. There'll be some live, uh, there'll be some video stuff from there. There's going to be testimonies every week of just life change and transformation, and I hope it will be an encouraging deal. The goal at the end of that, right, is that you and I would get the privilege of seeing men and women and boys and girls come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. The goal would be that we could create an environment that you felt comfortable, I felt comfortable, invite some of our folks, and they would meet God in a new and a fresh way. And so I hope you feel like if that's the end goal, if we can get there, then what we're going to be doing these three weeks is certainly worth that kind of investment into that. And so what we want to talk about, the three weeks kind of preparing for that, is I want to remind you again of your calling. As a follower of Christ, this is what it means in, in your life. Now, sometimes when we hear that word calling, it has this, hyper-spiritual, really churchy uh, connotation of what all that means. Webster' def- uh, definition, I think, just gave it the most simplistic one for me. It simply said this, that I thought was helpful. Calling a strong inner impulse towards a particular course of action, especially when accompanied by conviction of divine influence, right? A conviction of divine influence. That certainly was the case when Jesus was walking along the shores of Galilee And he calls, gives a calling upon his disciples to follow him in that moment. You may be familiar with it. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, a familiar verse. And Jesus called out and said, Come along with me, and I will show you how to fish for the souls of men. Follow me, and I will make you what? Fishers of men. And I love that from the very beginning. That the calling of God on your life and my life always involves people. It's always related to people and it's the impact of people. That's the very essence of the gospel, right? It's God's love story to the world where he says, I will give the most important thing to me in my life. I will give my son that you might have a relationship with me, that he would come to redeem the lost. And so what I want to remind you today is that this fall for us as a church family is critical, Significant few months as we kick off the school year, we kick off all the events that are happening here because it's critical for literally the hundreds of people that you and I have in our spheres of influence that we encounter every week this fall has a chance to have significant impact on them. Significant in the life of our church family as we together kind of fulfill what God has called us to do corporately. It's significant for you as an individual because listen, If you can fulfill this calling on your life and live it out, it will become one of the greatest sources of joy and fulfillment and purpose in your life. That we are called to fish for the souls of men. And so to help equip you and encourage you and challenge you in these things, with the next three weeks, what I want to do is give you three habits, three habits of highly contagious Christians, if you look to people who are like, man, this person has a purpose, they're on fire, these are probably three habits that you're going to see in their life uh, that are consistent there. So let me give you today, we're going to look at habit number one. And habit number one is simply this. Highly contagious Christians develop significant relationships with people who are far from God. Simple but profound. So if you've got your Bibles, let's go to the book of Acts, chapter 16. We've been in the book of Acts all summer, and we're going to knock it out and continue on there a little bit more. If you got your phones, you go to lexcity.info, and all the sermon notes are there. You can follow along with us as we go. Acts, chapter 16. As you're turning there, let me remind you again how influence works in the context of relationships with one another. You're probably like me. I get these emails from complete strangers who... It's amazing. Out of the goodness of their hearts, they want me to be financially wealthy and, and secure. It's a, wonder, it's a prince in Africa. He's great. And he has given me this opportunity to invest in this stock that will, of course, bring me great riches. I'm so blessed that out of all the people, he found me. Do you invest? Do you send your, uh, your router number there? Yeah, some of us, yeah. And uh, ladies, you're in the mall, and the lady comes up and says, oh, dear. Oh, dear. I have the perfect man for you. My son, he still lives in our basement. He's 37. I think you would be a great mix. Uh, could I get your phone number and set you up on a date? Ladies, you probably, no, you probably run a little bit from that because here's what I'm reminded. Most of the times we seldom take significant advice and influence from complete strangers, especially when it deals with the area of our finances, our relationships, our our futures. We tend to never put our trust in the hands of somebody that we don't know at all. Why the principle, right? Friends influence friends in the context of those. And it's true in general in, in those kind of silly examples, but isn't it even more true on probably things that are e- of deeper significance? Eternity, how we think about God. Friends are the ones who influence friends. If we're going to be reach the world for Christ, they're not going to be reached probably by strangers. It's going to be the same thing as the creepy person at the mall or the email that keeps coming because there's so many questions, right? Most of the folks, most of our stories, there are exceptions, but most of us haven't been, if you came to a faith in Christ, you didn't come through a televangelist or through a TikTok post, right? You came to know Christ because somebody you knew that you trusted began to invest a little bit into your life. In the New Testament, here's what I want to show you today. We see that pattern Friends, influencing friends, repeated over and over in the New Testament. In the book of Acts, I want to read a couple of passages to you today, and I want you just to notice the phrase that is repeated over and over in the book of Acts as we see the spread of this new thing called the gospel to the world. Acts chapter 16, verse 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia, and from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshipper of God and the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul and after she was baptized and her household as well she urged us saying if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord come to my house and stay and she prevailed upon us go a little bit farther in that same chapter verse 31 familiar with the story of Paul and Silas who find themselves in prison and if you might remember in this story God provides through a divine miracle the earth shakes The doors swing open, their chains are broken free from them, and they have every opportunity to escape. And in this story, the jailer is shocked and amazed when he returns to find that all the prisoners are still there out of respect for him. And he's so moved because he knows as the person who was on watch, had these men escaped, it would probably cost him his life. Chapter 16, go a little farther, verse 27. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself Supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembled with fear and fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took from them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all of his family. And then he brought them up to his house and he set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Gospel continues to spread in the book of Acts, chapter 16, and slide all the way up to chapter 18, verse 7. And he left there and went to a house of a man named Titus of Justice, a worshiper of God. His house was next to the synagogue. Caiaphas, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. Here's this theme, right, if you caught it, that gets that the spread of the gospel all throughout the New Testament, it was spread through households. Now, again, this concept of households in the New Testament, the word has a little broader meaning than we think of it right now. In the first century, the word household was the, the word akoias, which simply meant, it didn't just imply to the father, mother, and their children. It wasn't just their extended families. This would include, actually, not only the families, but their servants, everybody connected with the home. Homes were connected, people who were connected with family ties, economic ties, vocational ties. Things that we would call today are networks. All right, That's the word for household. Networks are relationships. People who are connected through work play, people that lived, related, and did business together. Here's a concept I want you to. The spread of the early church was through households, was through these connections, was through these networks on a bigger level. And that's how the gospel spread, Network, the network relationship to relationship. God uses, and for minutes, right, God uses preachers, God uses evangelists, God uses big rallies. But the primary spread of the gospel throughout the entire New Testament was relationship from person to person. One follower of Christ, right, who was committed, who felt called, who was convinced that the way of Jesus offered something greater in his life than he ever had before, that the salvation that he experienced really was the pearl of great price. One person with that kind of devotion, saying, I'll live my life in accordance to it, was contagious to the people around him. And they ask, I don't fully understand. Help me understand. And one person shares with one person, and the gospel spreads. Let me just remind you. It's hard to be contagious when we spend all of our time with people who already have the bug. Uh, Joe Aldrich, who wrote some books on lifestyle evangelism, wrote this years ago. After being a Christian for two years, the average Christian no longer has a single significant relationship with a non-believer. Right? It's just hard to be contagious when everybody around has the bug. Now listen, it's not our intention, but here's what we know, because it's just human nature. If we're not intentional, we will always default to what is easy, to what is comfortable, and what can be controlled. If we're not intentional, we will always return to the shores and start fishing just for fish because that's what we know. That's what we're comfortable in. That's what we feel confident. If we allow our preferences to overshadow our calling, we will always default to that. This is great. Tribalism is great. It's safe. It's secure. It's easy and it's not nearly as messy. But today, I wanna remind you, you have a calling that reminds you that we can't default just to the desires of the flesh for selfishness. We have a calling that demands that we do more than that, that we not fall into just being consumers, that we are contributors to what God wants to do here and around the world. So when Jesus calls his disciples at the coast, this beautiful time, he says, listen, I need you to do this. I, I need you to love the things that I love. I need you to go the places that I will go. I know you love fishing, but true discipleship means that your first love has to be something different. I want you to fish, but not just for fish. I want you to fish for the souls of men. Over the next couple weeks, we want to give you some some, hopefully, some tools, some techniques, or just some encouragement or ways that you can be that kind of contagious Christians. Uh, in your life. But can I remind you, all the tools and all the techniques are all irrelevant if your heart isn't in it. If you don't have a heart for those people in your world who are far from God, all of this doesn't matter. September, we're going to do this really cool series. It'll be really cool in the wilderness. There'll be all kinds of neat elements to it and great stories. Listen, all that is great. But if we don't love the people in our community who are far from God... We don't invite and invest into their lives. All of it's going to fall short. We'll have a wonderful time, but we're going to miss ultimately, I think, what God's called us to do at a bigger level. So here's the context that, that Jesus says. He says, now listen, one of the habits of highly contagious Christian people is that they have relationships with people who are far from God. And so when Jesus calls his disciples to leave his nets, these nets he says, listen, I, I want you to walk in my steps. I want you to learn to love what I love. I want you to go to places that I'm going to go. And so Jesus says, listen, you're going to follow me, and we're going to be friends of sinners. We're going to have dinner with sinners. You're going to find yourself breaking bread with tax collectors and prostitutes. If you're going to walk in the places I walk, then you're going to have to come overcome your, your prejudices and your presuppositions, and we're going to walk through Samaria, a place you'd never be found dead in. If you're going to walk with me, then we're going to sit with lepers because you've got to learn to love the things that I love and you've got to walk in the places that I walk. Your calling, <laughs> your calling is going to bring you far from the shores of comfort and ease and complacency where you'd like to stay. You're going to walk where G- Jesus walked then You're going to say, hey, I'm going to start, maybe I'm going to volunteer on my kids' sports team. And I'm going to invest into some families and be there. I, I may actually join the school board And be a part of that. If you walk the way that Jesus walks this Monday morning, when you walk into your break room at work, and you're gonna look at your coworkers with a new sense of compassion and meaning and purpose, realizing that these are folks who are in need of hope. We're not just punching a clock to get a paycheck together. If you're gonna walk where Jesus walked and love what Jesus loved, and when that school bell rings and you enter into the hallway, you're gonna have a new sense of compassion that these are fellow students who are struggling in the same way that you're struggling just to find their place and their identity in this world, and God's going to break your heart in new and fresh ways. Why? Because Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you've got to do the things that I do. We continue on, and we think about the importance and the intentionality of that in combating that. Let me just remind you again what Jesus says. He says as we go along these things that your calling is far greater than that your heart is going to move your feet to be at the place where God wants you to be this fall. But it all starts with the heart issue. If the heart's not there, everything else is just, it's meaningless. It's just ritualistic following a thing to check off my guilt over these kind of things. So God says it begins there with the heart. Isaiah 52 verse 7 says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. Who publishes peace, who brings the good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, says to Zion, your God reigns. How beautiful are the feet. And Jesus says, listen, just follow me. Walk where I walk, and it will change your perspective. It was on one of those days that Jesus walked into the home of one of the Pharisees. And at that time, with the Pharisees and, and, and dining there together, a woman comes in, and a woman enters in who thought she is lost beyond hope. She's been labeled. She's been, this is just who she is. There's no way she can ever change her life. And in that moment, she sits at the beautiful feet of Jesus. And the gospel records this beautiful moment where she washes Jesus' feet with the tears that she sheds. And she dries his feet with her very hair. Because these feet to her bring hope. They bring forgiveness. And they bring restoration. So the question this fall, who do your feet need to carry you to? Who's in your world, in your household? See, the beauty is that journey isn't very long for most of us because in our household, these are just men and women that we come across their paths every day just through living life, through school, through work, and through our neighborhood. They're just there. So I want to encourage you today, walk with beautiful feet this fall, make a habit of investing significant in the lives of people who are far from God. See, our community won't be changed by some big massive program. It's going to be changed by simply households of influence, one person at a time. And every day that we follow these habits, it reinforces our calling because, as you know, your direction, not your intention, determines your destination, Right? It's the habits that you have that determines where you're going to be at the end of this year as we go. So as we jump into that, let me just quickly today, let me give you five missional habits that will make you contagious. If you want to know, how do I have influence? How can I be that kind of person? Five things. Number one, just easy ones. Bless three people each day or each week. God, somewhere in this week, God, help me to find three, three people I can bless. You're at lunchroom, sitting at a lunch table. Listen, how about you find the one person one time in the week that always ends up sitting alone. Go sit with somebody out of your own comfort or in the break room that's there. When you're rolling into Myers and you got 27 items and the person behind you only has three items, go ahead, check out. It just builds in you a habit of thinking about how you can bless other things. Your teachers, bless their hearts, give them a gift card this year and just say, hey, thanks for putting up with my child. It's such a gift that you will do that, right? Volunteer at your church. Bless three people each week. Three people. Number two, bless text three people each week. All right? We all write text, but find text that we can be a blessing to someone. Write a text of hope, of encouragement, of thanks. My wife is fantastic at this. And many of you have received wonderful just encouragement. It's just a blessing of text that comes. So thank your kid's coach for putting up with your child and helping them grow and, and mature in these ways. Tough day at the office? Shoot that coworker tip. Hey, thanks for being on the team. Glad we're here to battle through this thing together as we go. You got a friend? Shoot a text. Hey, just want to let you know I value you. Thanks for being a part of my life. You're such a blessing to me, right? Social media, just comment something kind <laughs> and gracious. Appreciate you. So excited for you. Celebrate people, right? So bless three, three people. Uh, each week with that number two or three engage in three meaningful conversations each week we have lots of conversations but just next week we'll talk a little bit more about this but make it a meaningful one how do you do that let me give you four quick easy things number one don't get so excited about your next thought be present when somebody's sharing rather than thinking about what you're going to share next right listen before you speak and don't always one up their story with one of your stories want to bless somebody let them be the hero I know you had a better vacation. I know your kids are smarter than theirs. I know all these things. Right? Just let them, don't try to one-up them. Just engage, celebrate them. Number two, ask good questions and show genuine curiosity. Make it a point, That's what I'm trying to work on, to at least ask one question before you move on to the next topic. We're in, we're engaged. I'm just going to ask you something about what we're talking about before we fly off to the next thing. So be curious. Number three, do your homework without being creepy. Um, here's what I mean by this. Social media, it's a wonderful thing, but it can be creepy, um, but it can be great. So you have your neighbors that you know? look at the great you can learn a lot about their habits, their worldviews, things about their family. So do a little work. Find out. So you have a conversation, you know where to go. It also can prevent you from having awkward conversations. When you jump into something that you had no intention to, you could have found out and avoid it. Last one: uh, Recognize other people. If you're having a conversation with multiple people, can I encourage you, make a point to include the people who are on the fringe, because they have been on the fringe their entire life. There have been group conversations, one person dominates it. If you can acknowledge people on the fringe, you'll make a friend for life. Why? You just see them, you acknowledge them, different ways. Uh, Next week, we're going to talk a little bit about how we turn these conversations, habits of highly contagious people, they're able to turn conversations towards spiritual things. We're going to give you some ways to be able to do that a little better. Number four, real quickly, spend one significant moment each week listening to the Holy Spirit. Want to be contagious? Develop the habit of silence. It's during these times of silence, right, that God, the Holy Spirit, has the ability to speak to your heart about people who are in your household, about your neighbors that are there. So when you're walking around your block, walking your dog, Rather than always having stuff going on in your head, take some moments of silence. Let God speak to you about that neighbor and that neighbor and whatever God wants to lay on your heart. I swim laps, and so I bought this last year. I bought one of these uh, swimming uh, snorkels. I, I, it look ridiculous. That's why I swim late at night, so you know, it's the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen in your life. But here's the great part. For 45 minutes, you're under the water in silence. Just you and your thoughts. For me, that's helpful. Where are you developing habits... That creates silence in your life so the Lord can speak. Number five, uh, pray for your household, broad terms, right? Weekly. When we were in uh, India just about uh, less than a year ago, we got a chance to go to uh, Mother Teresa's center, great woman of prayer. Here was one of her prayers. I used to pray that God would feed the hungry or do this or that, but now I pray that he will guide me to do whatever I'm supposed to do and what I can do. I used to pray for answers, but now I'm praying for strength. I used to believe that prayer changes things, but now I know that prayer changes us and we change things. Just weekly. God, give me a heart for the people around me. God, help me to know where you want me to be. God, change me so I can change things. Habits of highly contagious Christians. Habits that draw people who are far from God. Now, these are individual things that we do individually. Let me just talk in context for us this morning, right? Because we're gathered here as as a family. Uh, So there are some things collectively as a church family, right? So we develop relationships with organizations intentionally who are far from God. Internationally, uh, all of our relationships in those contexts all have great Christian alignment around who we are as fellow believers. But here locally, with our relationships, we have intentionally developed and fostered relationships with organizations who are both sacred and both organizations that are secular, That's what made last week so fantastic with Lansdowne Elementary. It was so significant because why? It helps fulfill our vision, or our mission, right? To know, follow, and share Jesus. It's a wonderful chance for us to do that. Because this is the calling for us as individuals, and it's a calling for us as the bride of Christ. What God wants us to do. When we fulfill our calling as individuals, right, and we invest and invite, it becomes really critical that we together collectively fulfill our calling as the bride of Christ, that together we create these things. So in this series, so I'll just give an example as we close. So I knew this series, so I've got a gentleman last week I invited to come uh, to come in for the wilderness series. Now listen, when he comes and steps into our doors, then we have the privilege and the calling and the responsibility to serve him, to share the gospel with him, and to disciple him, right? That's what we're all about to do. But that can only happen if we collectively are fulfilling what God wants us to do together. So here's what we're gonna do to kind of help us along those lines. The next three weeks, right after service, right when we're done here, you're gonna head out the store, you saw it when you came in, we've got a ministry fair that's got places for you to volunteer, it's got places for you to be involved in groups to just say, listen, part of what we do collectively to know, follow, and share Jesus together is being engaged and involved with the things that we've got. Two great ways to do that, through serving and through being involved in community. They're both so important, and then I gotta wrap up. If we don't, we're here, we've are here. we been five years together now as Lex like City, right? I think one of the places we can continue to grow and just in our serving together, we've got a few that are doing a lot. And I just wanna grow to the point we got a lot doing all of our parts in those things. It's so important. My buddy will come And if we don't take care of his kids, loses disinterest. If he comes here and it's not met and not felt welcome, we've lost interest. Long before I ever get up to say a word, he's made his decisions 45 minutes, why? Just in our ability to serve one another. So when you come and you serve, can I just remind you, it's easier to go to the shore and just stay in your own fishing for fish, but God's calling for us is greater than that. And so we're about other people. Serve, find some ways to get involved this fall, great way to do that. Second one is just in groups and community. What we do here is fantastic, but if you want to grow in your faith, you want to get discipled in your faith, you want to interact more personally with the things that we talk about, groups are the way to do it. So, I encourage you get involved in community. If you're involved in a group and it's a little stale, find another group. Get going. I've, we've got people who want to be, are going to want to come and get connected and, and say, hey, here's a place for you to grow, go closer to them. Some of you are watching online, just encourage you, listen. Help fulfill your calling and ours collectively. This fall may be the time for you to come back and re-engage on a more regular ways because why? What we're fighting for is greater than ourselves. Habits of highly contagious people. Number one is we just develop relationships with people who are far from God. We serve them, we care for them, and then we provide for them a place to get involved in community. And so here's a little bit about our groups and why they're so important to our vision. Thank you for listening to the Lex City Church podcast. If you would like to support ministries of Lex City, visit lexcity.church/give. Please subscribe and follow us on social media at Lex City Church for more encouraging teachings and content.